This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I hope everyone had an enjoyable, but yet safe, New Year's Eve, good grief, 4th of July, and I also hope you all are finding refuge from this heat wave that seems to be taking hold of the entire nation right now. So, the title of tonight's episode is Not for the Squeamish. Believe you me, that is a very, very appropriate title, especially when you hear the first story. So, you have been warned. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are CBS Radio Mystery Theater and a new one to Terror Radio called Just Before Midnight. And this was a BBC radio series which featured 15-minute radio plays which always ended with a twist. It ran from the spring of 1963 and concluded on May 1st, 1964. Our first radio play is called A Horror Story. And it was first broadcasted on December 11th, 1978 on the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Following that is the radio play number 17, which was first broadcasted on March 3rd, 1963, on just before midnight. So, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights. Would be very interesting to see how many of you can keep the lights down while listening to these plays tonight. Again, sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to a horror story followed by number 17. CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. Tell me the truth. Are you sensitive? Impressionable, tender-hearted, squeamish, maybe? Are your sensibilities easily offended? Are you fussy or persnickety? If you are all or any of these things, perhaps you had better not listen to what follows, for the tale we are going to tell you is aptly called a horror story. Take them back. Take back these slippers. You don't like them? They are bewitched. But they're so beautiful. They are cursed. They are the spawn of Satan. Take them back. Our mystery drama, 
a horror story, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Robert Dryden. It is sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and ARM, Allergy Relief Medicine. I'll be back shortly with Act One. to hear as dreadful a tale as has ever been told, appalling in its frightfulness. So pause a moment. Think hard whether you're able to endure it. If you have qualms about listening, turn to something sweet and soothing. But I urge you to gather your courage and listen. Nothing on the first floor, nothing on the second only the third floor remains to be explored. Uh, mm, why do I bother? Why do I persist? Well, if anyone cares, this place fascinates me. Has for 20 years. Ever since I first came to New Orleans in 1829 and saw a crowd of frightened people gathered outside this building on Common Street. Mm, by eavesdropping among them, I learned that they thought the place haunted by a collection of gruesome ghosts. Now, let's see what's in here. Oh, I declare if the third floor yields no more than the other two, I... Ooh, I say, what an exquisite fireplace. So delicate. Pure Adam. As a world traveler, I've become something of a connoisseur. Still, you... Oh, what's this? Looks like a loose brick in the chimney breast. Oh, really, the town should take better care of... Let's see if I can pry it loose. Oh, yes, I can. Oh, why are people so neglectful? Still, no one comes here anymore. They're too frightened, I suppose. Imagine being afraid of ghosts. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, got it. Good. Now, what may I find here? What could there be in the space behind... Oh, oh, yes, there's something. Yes, 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 there's... A little book. A little book bound in red Morocco leather. And that... Wait, what have we here? Oh, good gracious. A pair of shoes. Oh, how sweet, how dainty. Now, back to the little book. Oh, my word. It's a diary. And the name embossed on the cover... As plain as day, Gaston Donnet. Gaston. Gaston Donnet. Monsieur Savinet? Come here immediately. Something wrong, Monsieur Savinet? An emergency. The Count is coming for dinner. It's his first visit to the Palais Savinet, and what do you think has happened? The head chef has had an accident. And he's in the hospital. Oh, what a pity. Well, you know who the Count is, don't you? Oh, I know, I know. What's to be done? There's nothing to be done but turn the whole thing over to you, Gaston. What, but I've been engaged as assistant chef. I don't have the capacity, the experience. My friend, there is no help for it. I'll tell you what. I'll give you Pierre all to yourself. Pierre? The scullery boy? He's been with me for two whole years. Pierre, come here. You'll see, Pierre is very knowledgeable. Yes, Monsieur Sauvigny. Pierre, my boy, who do you think will dine with us tonight? Hmm? The Count himself, friend to the king. But the head chef, he, he's in the hospital. Unhappily, but we must not let that affect us in the least. Monsieur Gaston Donnet here will be in charge. Oh. And you, Pierre, you are to leave everything else to others and devote yourself to him. Do you understand? I understand. Now... What shall we prepare for the Count, huh? Perhaps a, a, a leg of lamb, Eslington, with the proper vegetables? A Normandy sole before that. Oh, and, and, and for his particular pleasure, truffles served in the silver cocotte and wrapped in our finest linen napkin. Oh, the poor Gaston Donnet, poor chap. It's no small thing to prepare a superlative dinner for an important client. I know. I've wandered the world. I've been in Paris, ho, 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 more than once. Well, let us read on in the diary what happens next. Ah, 
when the Count has eaten his dinner of truffles, of Normandy sole, of lamb Eslington, and all accompanied with the best wine, and all finished off with an exquisite plum brandy, what then? Success, success, Gaston. Oh, what a great success. I'm so happy, Monsieur Sylvain. He raved about the souffle. He was ecstatic over the leg of lamb. He all but, but kissed the vegetables. Oh, let the head chef stay in the hospital. You, you, Gaston Donnet, you are the best chef in all of Paris. Oh, Monsieur Sauvignet, surely not. Now listen, listen, dear chap. The Count intimated to me just before he departed. He plans to come back soon. It's too much. Try your eyes uh-huh. and get on home, because that's where I'm going. Pierre? Monsieur? You'll uh, close the place, won't you, so that our heroic friend here can go home? Yes, Monsieur Sauvignet. Then good night, my valiant Gaston. Good night until tomorrow. Good night. Oh, what a glorious night it has been. Aren't you going home, Monsieur Nene? What? Oh? <laughs> to tell your wife about your success. I have no wife. Oh, there must be someone you can boast to. Monsieur Sauvignet said the Count adored the souffle and the lamb. All but kissed the vegetables, he said. But he said nothing about the truffles. (laughs) No, he didn't. The beautiful truffles in the silver cocotte. Pierre, did the Count enjoy the truffles, do you think? Well, if so, why didn't Monsieur Sauvignet mention it? Well, they were a little overcooked. Overcooked? You said overcooked? I heard the Count remark to his lady friend that they were slightly overdone. After all, they require only seven to eight minutes in the oven, and yours were in there for ten. That's not so. That's not so. Oh, yes, I noticed. At least ten minutes. Why, you dirty little beggar. Why, you... Keep, keep away from me. Keep away from sure me. Sure, Tom. No, the knife. Put down the knife. Help. 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 Oh, oh. You... You... Piece of dirt. Nothing but a piece of dirt. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. Fantastic. Oh, my. I'm not at all sure I should let you hear this part. It's too, uh, too, uh, too, uh, uh, well... We've read this far together, and I know you're perishing to find out what comes next, so... All right. Gaston Donnet, as you've heard, stuck a kitchen knife right through Pierre's heart, and Pierre fell down dead. Then Gaston, appalled at what he'd done, dragged the boy's body into the little cuisine, and there he... Oh, there I tell you. Uh, There he removed Pierre's clothes and burned them in the small fireplace ordinarily used to incinerate discarded skin and feathers and uh, other rubbish. Then he... Oh, this is fantastic. He, uh... Well, he dissected and dismembered the body and removed every last bit of flesh. And then... (laughs) Really, this part is superb. He prepared the flesh in any number of ways. Marinated, stuffed, gratinade, minced, pickled, smoked. Oh, you do have to admire the man's ingenuity. Oh, say you do. Then the following day, there was such an outcry in the kitchen. Where is he? Where is that boy? Where is that good-for-nothing boy? Gaston, heaven's name, what's the matter? That stupid upstart. Pierre never showed up, Monsieur Sauvignet. I've waited all morning. I've searched the place. No sign of him. No word from him. Nothing. Gaston, calm yourself. What am I to do without a scullery boy? I shall find you a scullery boy. Within the hour, you shall have a scullery boy, and a good one, too. Because you know what? The Count is repeating his visit. The Count? Yes. He's enamored of your cooking. Who knows? One day he might invite the king to be his guest. Would he come? Who knows? Now, 
What shall we serve the Count tonight, huh? Monsieur Sauvignet, is it true that the Count did not appreciate my truffles? I've heard something to the effect. Oh, that was nothing. A trifle overcooked, he said, but it was nothing. Now, for this evening, first, uh, some scampi, perhaps? Leave the menu to me, monsieur. I shall prepare something... something... incomparable. Something new. You don't want to tell me what you have in mind. I want to work from my own inspiration, my own invention... I want it to be uh, a surprise. Oh, I don't have to tell you, do I? That evening's repast was a mad success, a wild triumph, start to finish. Such fragrance, freshness, such combinations of flavors, eight courses, and each one better than the last. The Count and his dinner guests agreed to a man that never, never in their gastronomic lives had they enjoyed such a repast, and they sent a great storm of compliments to the genius chef. <laughs> oh, isn't it marvelous? Isn't it divine? For, of course, you know what they had eaten with such gusto. Oh, my dear Gaston, let me kiss you. Both cheeks. Oh, I kiss your hands. The Count and his friends enjoyed their dinner? Enjoyed. They were rapturous, Gaston. They were ecstatic. They were they were beside themselves. Ah, I'm so glad. And the new scullery boy, Francois, he, he served you well? Well enough. Francois's a good boy. But you, oh, you need no one but yourself and your incomparable talent. Ah, you're very kind. Gaston... I cannot keep a secret. I must tell you. What secret is that? The Count is coming back. Oh? And this time, tomorrow or the night after, but certainly within a week, he hopes to bring a guest, a solitary guest. A lady? Oh, I think not. A gentleman, a high-born gentleman... The most noble gentleman of them all. What you mean? A royal gentleman, Gaston. Him? Of course, he will come disguised. It wouldn't do. Oh, no, no. Of course not. And the Count wants you to prepare for this noble, this, this, uh, royal gentleman. The same dinner you prepared tonight. The same? The very same. Oh, my reputation is made. Just wait till everyone hears. Ah. Francois. Francois. Come here, my boy. Oh, and uh, bring the large mallet with you. The one we use to hammer out the scallops. Oh, yes. Yes, that's the one. Hand it over. Thank you, Francois. Now, turn around. And I'll face the other way. Yes. That's it. Now stand very still. <coughs> I'm sorry, Francois. But what else could I do? say in the diary if the Count's guest was actually the king himself, although it does say that both gentlemen enjoyed their dinner immensely and sent the most effusive compliments to the chef. <laughs> However, according to what it says here, shortly thereafter, great outcries were raised by the mothers of the two vanished boys, and Gaston Donnet suddenly left Paris, never to return. <laughs> Which is quite understandable. Wouldn't you say? Ready to continue? Be very sure, won't you? Because there's more to come. And if your heart stops or your hair turns white, don't blame me. I warned you, didn't I? Yes, I did. I told you from the very beginning, this is a horror story.
proceed, sweet ladies, kind gentlemen. Remember, this tale has come down to us in the form of a legend, built little by little by one storyteller after another. Each one delighted in what he had been told and then added whatever provocative details he thought might captivate his audience and seduce it into listening longer. That is, after all, how legends have come into being since the world began. Ready for the diary again, hmm? And for a change of scene? In 1829, New Orleans was already a fair city and a prosperous one. A proud and stylish and extremely forceful man, Mr. Poncet, was the leading citizen of New Orleans. And uh, into his office one day stepped a sturdy, aggressive man who looked to be about, oh, 50 years of age. Mr. Poncet, I believe. Ah, uh, the same, sir. And whom do I have the pleasure of addressing? Uh, my name is Ferro, sir. Lucien Ferro. Ah, a stranger to Norrens? Well, not completely, sir. I have been plying my trade for some months. And your trade is? I am a shoemaker. Ah, 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 ah. You mend shoes, do you? No, I do not mend shoes, Mr. Poncet. I make shoes by hand. I cut every piece of leather. I sew every stitch with these two hands. I see. Well, now... What can I do for you, Mr. Farrow? Everyone tells me you are the most influential man in New Orleans. I want to buy that building on Common Street. Uh, which one do you have your eye on? The one with three stories, six chimneys. It's the only one vacant at present. And you want to move your shoemaking enterprise into that building? I do, sir. Isn't it a bit large? Three floors? Oh, one floor. The first one will suffice for my workroom. The third floor, that will be my home. I have walked through it. The light is wonderful. And the exquisite fireplaces in every room. Uh, but do you need so many rooms, a man living alone? Ah, but I shall not be living alone. I got married yesterday. Did you now? Well, that's splendid. Congratulations. As soon as Camille said yes, I made up my mind that the building on Common Street must be mine. Uh, you? You're married? I, uh, alas, sir, uh, I am a widower. But my beloved wife blessed me with a daughter, my angelic Monique who is more precious to me than all the world's treasure. Now, of course. How old is Monique? Seventeen in a few months. <laughs> Soon she will make her debut. Oh, how splendid. It will be splendid, I promise you that, sir. I'm willing to spend half of all I've got to see that she's introduced to society in the grand style. Perhaps, uh, perhaps when she has chosen her gown and had it made... Perhaps you would come to me for the shoes? <laughs> Perhaps I shall. Uh, by the way, Faroe, what do you uh, propose to do with the second floor? You'll have your little shop on the first, you'll have your living quarters on the third, but uh, what about the second? What, what'll you do with that? Oh, I'll find a use for it. Things are settling down. Quite a prosaic little diary, after all. There are lots of mundane details I won't bother to pass on to you, all about Pharaoh fixing up the top floor. This very floor, which I stand on now, and moving in with his rather uh, colorless wife, Camille. Grandiose claims of how his shoemaking industry flourished. A lot of petty boasting that you wouldn't be interested in. But now... Ah, yes... Here it starts to get interesting again. <laughs> you like this part, I think. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, uh, I was looking for Mr. Lucien Faroe. Is he here? He's gone out on an errand. But he will be back. He didn't say when. Oh. I, uh, I wanted to ask him to make something for me. Something very special for my daughter, Monique Ponsay. <laughs> Uh, you, uh, you, you work here for Mr. Faroe? 
I'm his wife. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I haven't had the pleasure. <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Perua, are you enjoying your new home? It's very nice. Your husband's fame is spreading, you know, all over New Orleans. So he tells me. Everyone says his slippers are the softest, the most pliable, so flexible. <laughs> the ladies who wore them say they can dance all night and on into the morning. So I've heard. I'll tell you why I'm here, Mrs. Perot. I, I wanted to order a pair of his wonderful slippers for my daughter, Monique. Uh, look here, I brought a swatch of the material, her... Dresses to be made from. My, my daughter has dark hair and dark eyes. Well, you can see, this is the material. Damask, isn't it? I believe that is what they call it. White damask, with just the faintest little thread of gold running through it. Beautiful. Ah, beautiful. Now, if uh, your husband can make shoes to match, <laughs> will he be back soon, do you think? I've got no way of knowing he never tells me anything. Oh, well, I'll, I'll wait a bit. Suit yourself. <clears throat> Tell me, uh, your husband has rented out the second floor, hasn't he? Yes, he has. To a restaurateur, I believe. A private dining salon, they say. So they say. Small, but uh, elegant. So I've heard. Oh, forgive me, Miss Farrell, but you, you talk as though you'd never seen it. I never have. Well, I am surprised. Your husband makes a, an excellent investment, and you you don't even care to see it? Oh, I care. It's grown famous all over New Orleans. The cuisine, everyone raves about it. So he tells me. But you have never dined there. Oh, no. Here's my husband now. Ah, Mr. Ponset. Well, glad to see you, Mr. Pro. Mr. Ponset wants to order a pair of slippers. Oh, fine, fine. For Monique, for my daughter. I showed your wife the material her dress is being made from. You see, this is a small swatch. Very nice. I can get more if you'd care to make the slippers to match exactly. No. No, that wouldn't do it at all. Well, I simply thought... I have my own materials. Well, if, if you insist... I do insist. My materials are a thousand times more pliant than this damask. Oh, whatever you say, Farrow. Well, good day, Mrs. Farrow. Good day. How long was he here? Only a few minutes, Lucien. That's all. We chose to wait for you. What did you two talk about? Oh, your success for the most part. He mentioned the restaurant on the second floor. He asked if I'd ever dined there. He asked you that? Of course I said I hadn't. I said I'd never even set foot in the place. Why can't I see it, Lucien? Because I say you can't. But why can't I? I'd like to so much, Lucien. I've already told you why you can't. Because you say I can't. Precisely. I see. But I'd certainly like to. I hesitate to tell you what the next few pages of the diary hold. Oh, I don't think I can read on. Uh, yes, I must, if we're ever to finish this macabre tale. So I'll just tell you straight out. The secret material Pharaoh used for his extraordinary slippers was human skin. There, I've said it. And the source of his supply was the slave market. Oh, my word, what a really terrible fellow he was. Yet you do have to admire his enterprise and his courage in setting it all down here. You do have to respect that, don't you? Yes, sir? Do you have a reservation? Oh, I yes. The name is Ponce. Table for two. Ah, may I show you to your table, Mr. Ponce? <laughs> I suppose you might as well, but... Keep an eye out for my daughter, will you? We're dining together. She has dark hair, dark eyes, and she'll arrive alone. I'll watch for her and bring her to you. Ah, here's your table. 
Can I order you an aperitif? Oh, no, thank you. Uh, I'll just wait for my daughter. As you wish, sir. My appetite has been whetted by what I've heard of your cuisine. I'm looking forward to... I beg your pardon. I think I see a lady alone. It could be your daughter. Uh, Monique. Her name is Monique. Good evening, madame. You're expecting a gentleman? No, I'm by myself. I just wanted to see what it looks like. The management does not permit ladies unescorted. Are you the owner? I am the owner. Now, if you please... Lucien Perrault is my husband. He's your landlord. I cannot permit you to stay. He owns this entire building. It's his shoe shop on the first floor. I help him there sometimes. And we live on the third floor. But I've never set foot on this floor. And I thought... Absolutely impossible. If I could just look in this one. Ah. On the other hand, come with me. I'll show you the whole place. It's lovely. I'll show you everything. You're very kind. Through this door here, if you please. Is there another room? Yes. Through here. Oh, but... but Go on. Go on. But I, I don't... But this is the kitchen. It is the kitchen, and that is the back door. But I don't want... And you're leaving by the back door. No, I don't... You're want... leaving now. I don't want to leave. Now, Camille, this instant, you... You called me Camille. Oh. Oh, Lord. How do you know my name? Shut up, woman. Shut up. Why? Lucia. It's you. What on earth have you done to yourself? Shut your mouth. But you look so young. You you, you sound so young. You're, oh, you're quite different. You be quiet and get out, Camille. You'll ruin me. What's the point of this masquerade? Why are you pretending to be two people? You're a fine shoemaker. Why do you have to be a chef as well? Why should I be one man when I can be two? But which is my husband? What is my name? You can't go on with this deception. You must stop. Never. Never. We shall be so rich, Camille. No. No. I won't go on this way. I can't. I don't know who I am, who you are. I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell everyone. You'll tell no one. Uh, no, no. ambitious husband strangled her right there in his own kitchen. And that... Oh, merciful heavens, I... I hate to tell you what comes next. What it says here. As he looked around him, and the pots and the pans and all the accoutrements of his profession, the thought crossed his mind that... Oh, how can I say it... He, uh, he thought to himself, what a fabulous, what a fantastic dish I shall serve my customers tomorrow night. For my own part, I am perfectly content that such should be the case. I'll be back shortly with Act Three. to our legend, which was invented to curdle your blood and freeze the marrow in your bones. If it has not done so, then it has failed in its purpose. For to make you gasp, exclaim, to make the hairs on your body stand on end, why that is the very proper purpose of a horror story. feeling better now, able to read on, I think. There's a passage here that reveals what you must already have guessed. The proprietor of the restaurant on the second floor 
was not only Lucien Ferraud, he was likewise Gaston Donnet from Paris. <laughs> oh, dear me, how things have turned around in this world. It's enough to make one's head spin. Uh, well, anyway, the diary goes on quite calmly for a while, and then... Ah, Mr. Ferraud. Mr. Ponset. Welcome to my little shop. <laughs> You're looking extremely well. Oh, thank you. I never felt better. And your charming wife, is she doing well? Satisfactorily, thank you. I'm uh, sorry not to see her. She's elsewhere. You know, it was to your wife that I first showed the little swatch of damask. She admired it so much. And I told her about Monique's debut. She seemed most interested. Yes, I'm sure she was. Oh, yes, we had nice little chat, nice little chat. We spoke of your tenant. My tenant? The man to whom you let the second floor. Oh, yes. And the restaurant that he opened? Why, it's become almost as famous in New Orleans as your delectable little slippers. Has it indeed? Yes. Well, shall I fetch the slippers, Mr. Ponset, uh, for your daughter? Ah, Monique slippers. Yes. Of course. That's what I came for. I have them right here. Ah, here. Here they are. Oh. Mr. Ferraud. Oh, my friend. You like them? Like them? I have no words to convey what I feel. How white they are. How pure and white. Yes. Oh, they are like jewels. Royal jewels. I call them my masterpiece. <laughs> Has your wife seen them? Any? Uh, No. I haven't shown them to her. It'd be so nice if she were to come in right now. That is unlikely. Before I take them home? You might have a long wait. Yes, you're right. I must take them home and show them to Monique. God bless you, Faroe, and give you continued success. <laughs> have you guessed it? Has your clever little mind penetrated the secret of Lucien Faroe's latest adventure? Have you succeeded in following the intricacies of his criminality? <laughs> if so, I don't have to tell you that the soft and subtle slippers which Mr. Ponset carried home in triumph were made of the white young skin of Camille Ferraud. Hello! Hello! Are you here? Where are you, you rogue? Come out here! <laughs> Mrs. Perot, are you here? I must see your husband at once. It is imperative. Well, I, I must see someone. I must see someone now. You were looking for me? I, villain, you monster. Something is wrong, sir. Fiend, the devil. I, Mr. Ponce, for what... Or I... are you a sorcerer, a wizard? Mr. Ponce... Or do you have the I... evil eye? Confess, you barbarian. But what is it? What must I confess to? Oh, you know very well. No, I don't. Mr. Ponset, you left here an hour ago with the slippers. You seem to have... The been. slippers, yes, yes, the slippers. You don't like the Those slippers? Those cursed slippers, the abominable your slippers. Your daughter does not like the slippers. There are your slippers. Uh, Take them. You're bringing them back? You take them and never let me see them again. You don't want them? You unwrap them and you'll see. Unwrap them and see what you have created. Unwrap them and behold your masterpiece. I shall, I shall. Not in my presence, you won't. Wait till I'm out the door and never come near me again. What in the world? What went wrong? What's that? What's, what's that sound? Can, can it be? Is it? Is it in here? Ah, ah, my, my slippers! My, my beautiful white slippers! What's, what's got into them? What, 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 is, what are you saying? Are you, are you mad? Wait, wait, come back! Stay still! Where are you going? What, what's got into you? No! No, don't! Don't touch me! Not me! Not me! Not me! Not me! Stay away from me! I'm upstairs. They're following me. If 
I can get to my own floor, my own place. One more floor. To, to the top. I'll, I'll hide. Yes, yes, yes. I'll hide. I'll, I'll hide here. Fire! They're here! They got in! They're coming at me! They're on me! They're crawling up my back! My hair! On my face! Oh, no! They're sliding down my back! Good luck! Hello! They're on my diary! No one must ever see my diary! No one must ever know what I have done! If anyone is no, no, no. Heaven forbid. Ah, where can I hide it, sir? Ah, yes, yes. I'll hide it here behind this brick in the chimney. Yes, yes, here, here, here. Hide it behind this brick. No, I'll never find it. Ah, ah, ah. I, I did put back the brick. Oh, Lord! The slippers have been into the chimney. They're sitting on top of the diary. I... Uh, at any rate, they're not chasing me. Well, put back the brick now. A piece. A little piece. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, quiet. No noise. Uh, all quiet now. It's all very quiet. Come uh, where are you? Where, where have you gone, Tony? Uh, and Francois. And Pierre. Oh. The police. They're here to get me. They're, they're going to arrest me. But, but what have I done? I haven't done anything. Just tried to make a living. Had little success. I, I'm innocent. And citizens, may I have your attention? I know you. I know you expect from me some explanation of what was found in the place on Common Street a few weeks back. The authorities have said that I might tell you all that is known. Though how it all came about is a matter for conjecture. When the police broke in on the third floor of the Common Street building, they found... Uh, be brave, my friends. Be prepared for something horrendous. They found a dead man. They think they recognized him as the owner of the building. Though, to be brutally honest, they could not be absolutely sure because the body... The body, good people, had been skinned. Yes, my friends, they have concluded that this poor man went mad and flayed himself alive. I know what you're saying to yourself. Yes, I do. You're saying... How could he read all that last part in the diary? How could anybody have written it down with the slippers carrying on like that? It's impossible. Well, you're right. The reason I know what happened is that... I am Gaston Donnet. Later, Lucien Ferro. That is to say, I am his astral, his... Uh, Ethereal body, vulgarly called a ghost. So I know all about it. Oh, and that banging at the door that poor Donet Perrault thought was the police? No, not so. It was two ordinary men who knocked. One wanted to buy the restaurant for an astronomical sum. The other had come all the way from Paris. A certain wealthy count had died and left a quantity of money to Gaston Donnet in memory of a marvelous meal he had cooked for the count some years before. All that work for nothing. 
where did I go wrong? Where? It seems clear that there was a place on Common Street in New Orleans 150 years ago, and a man certainly did rent it and opened a shoe shop on the first floor and rented out the second floor for a restaurant and lived with his wife on the third floor and later died. And no doubt there was something strange about the man. But those are all the verifiable facts we have. As for the rest, well, you know how people talk. And as they talk, legends are born. And legends grow. And legends never die. I'll be back shortly. story in modern literature started with The Castle of Otranto, written by Horace Walpole, quickly followed by The Mysteries of Udolfo by Anne Radcliffe. Honore Balzac took up the form and improved on it in France. Bulwer-Lytton rivaled him in England, and in America it was brought to a peak by our own Edgar Allan Poe. Let's face it, the horror story is here to stay. Our cast included Robert Dryden, Mary Jane Higby, Ian Martin, and Arnold Moss. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by ARM, Allergy Relief Medicine, and True Value Hardware Stores. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams... provincial hotel. The setting for the story of strange happenings in room number 17. The doors were all locked. She'd been round and locked them herself. But she was quite certain she saw a tall, thin figure glide past her across the room and vanish. Oh, go on, old man. She was having you. Not a bit of it. She was second cousin of an aunt of mine by marriage. Very sensible woman, soul of truth and honour. Mind, I don't believe in ghost stories myself. Doesn't sound like it. Oh, look here, old man. I don't think we've met. Rafferty, fancy goods. Don't often pass this way. Usually stays the crown. <laughs> but there wasn't a hope tonight. Uh, not surprised. The town's packed. Well, I'm Brathwick, a knitwear. This is Peel. Kitchen furnishing. How do you do? Yes, you're right. King's head for me every time. A daft girl at my office forgot to make a booking. And they won't even look at me. <laughs> Too bad. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt in there. So ah, it's all right. No, what I was about to say, from the journalistic point of view... I thought you said you... I, I was once advertisement manager of the Bradford Woolen Goods Journal before I came on the road. Aye. And speaking from the journalistic point of view, I hold that when it comes to ghost stories... They've all been written over and over again. But when it comes to a bit of realism, then what's needed is an open mind. Realism. That's what the public wants nowadays. Now, look at some of these plays they put on. I sometimes wonder what the public's coming to if that's the sort of thing ah, that they... Ah, you never can tell with the public. It's like in the fancy business. You never know how it's going to be one month into the next. Yeah, that depends who you are. Huh? Yeah. In name of little... Oh, how do you do? Uh, how do you do? You're a regular here? No, oh, I wouldn't say that. Off and on, you know. What I mean is, if you've got the right push about you, you can make anything go. Oh, true enough. Now, that story you were just telling, now, that's supposed to be true. 
But to me... I assure you, old chap, my aunt's cousin... Oh, I'm not casting aspersions. I just mean, to me, it wasn't real because there weren't half enough details there. You didn't say when it happened or what the room was like. Well, you can't expect... Or what happened afterwards. What I like is a story about what a man's seen himself. I'm with you there. Now, I could tell you a story. Not another ghost. Hallucinations, that's all it is. No, no, let him go on. Well, if you like. At any rate, it's not one of these somebody fancied they saw a kind of a something stories. Everything I'm going to tell you is as plain and straightforward as a timetable. Plainer than some. <laughs> Let's hear it, then. Well, to start with, did any of you know Robert Hatteras? Hatteras? Uh, what line? Well, I forget now. He was on the road a good many years. Never heard of him. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, he was a good chap. XRAF. Big moustache, you know. Mind you, I didn't know him myself. I never heard of him. What happened took place at a certain commercial hotel. I won't give it a name because that sort of thing gets about. Uh-huh. Whether he did it himself, nobody knew. But they found him on his bedroom floor with his throat cut. Well, some time later... Yeah, hold on. What was all that about not filling in the details? <laughs> ah, you got me there. Well, there wasn't anything specially rum about the room, I believe. Now, let's see, there was a sort of French bed with carvings all over it and a big black wardrobe the size of a hearse with a glass door and a sort of oriental mirror with a black frame screwed up between the windows. Oh, yeah, and a picture of the Feast of Belshazzar over the mantelpiece. Uh, what? Pardon, old man? Oh, uh, nothing. Go on. Ah, let's hear the story. Well, as I was saying, some time later I found myself in, in... But I'd better not mention the name of the town, either. I found my firm had booked me into that very hotel. It was full. But there was quite a crowd of us in the commercial room after dinner. I got chatting to a fellow in the antiques line. Very pleasant chap. Cooper, I think he was called. The place is pretty full tonight, Mr Cooper. Oh, I've seen it worse. What room you got, little... And number 17. 17? Oh, oh, you wouldn't catch me in there. Oh, why? I thought they'd closed it up. That's the room where the chaps cut their throats. Eh? Yes, chap called Bert Hatteras, forget it. You haven't heard about him? Oh, yes, yes, I did hear. Oh, but since? Since? Why, was there something else? Every man who slept in that room since has cut his throat. Just like poor old Bert. You're kidding. Well, I'm exaggerating a bit, maybe... There's only been two more. Two? Three, counting old Bert. And I'll tell you another thing. Yes? Every one of them was a commercial. Oh, are you going now? Uh, uh, yes. Well, uh, just a breath of fresh air before I turn in. Well, pleasant dreams, old man. Oh, can I help you, Mr Little? Uh, yes, you, uh, you wouldn't by any chance. Yes? Any hope of changing my room? Well, we are rather full... Doesn't it suit you, then? No, it's just that, uh, uh, well, you see, it's over the bar, and I thought I'd like to get an early night. Anything would do. Well, oh, there's number 16. It might be a little bit quieter. I'm afraid well, that's Well, I'll take it. Though. I'll shift my own things. I'm sorry to be a trouble. <laughs> she, she didn't let on she knew why you wanted to swap over, then. Well, I thought she gave me a bit of a funny look, that's all. Well, let's see the rest. Well, I shifted my things. I didn't altogether like the idea of being next door to number 17, but there was nothing else for it. It wasn't till I was taking my collar and tie off that I realised about the furniture. Well, what about it? Well, I hadn't taken much notice of the things in number 17, but in my new room I suddenly saw that the bed had carving all over it, that there was a great wardrobe the size of a hearse, and a sort of oriental mirror screwed up between the windows. Go on. Yes, and the Feast of Belshazzar over the mantelpiece. You mean... I saw that although I hadn't got number 17 anymore, I'd got all the furniture that had been in number 17 when Bert Hatteras was done in. Ah, oh, but that made you feel good, eh? I don't mind admitting, amongst ourselves, that when I got back in number 16 again, I looked under the bed and inside the wardrobe. Anybody hide in there? No, nothing. Just a minute, though. Everything you've told us so far about this chap Hatteras and so on... Well, it was only hearsay, wasn't it? Uh, that's the point. Yeah, it's quite true. I don't ask you to believe any of it. But what I'm going to tell you now is my part of the story. What happened to me in that room? Well, we're all ears. 
And I'll admit I had a bit of a struggle with myself. I smoked a pipe and I read the evening paper right the way through. Advertisements and all. And then I told myself it wasn't in my room, but in the one next door that it had happened. And at last I went to bed. Bet you left the light on. No, I can't sleep with the light on. Did you sleep? Like a top. Until... Until something woke me up. Just a little sort of tapping noise. Who's there? Who is it? They told me you'd be in number 17. Who are you? What do you want? You're Mr. Little, aren't you? What if I am? Who are you? Night Porter, sir. Your early call. Oh. It's after six. Early? Oh. You did want a call, sir. I've been knocking and knocking next door, you see. Only nobody never told me you moved. Oh, or... yes. Yeah, uh, thanks. Thank you very much. That young thing on the desk. If I tell her once, I tell her a hundred times. If you don't leave a note, how's the night porter to know? Early call. <laughs> Oh, I don't think much of that for a story. Oh, wait a minute, you haven't heard the story yet. <laughs> well, I hope it improves. It was six o'clock on a winter's morning, pitch dark. I got up and put on the little lamp over the wash basin and got dressed. There wasn't a sound anywhere. I had a wash and I'd just started to shave when I saw something move in the looking glass. It made me jump and the razor nicked into my throat. The big door of the wardrobe had swung open and by a sort of double reflection I could see the bed behind me. On the edge of it sat a man in his shirt and trousers, a man with a great big moustache and the most terrible look of despair and fear on his face that I've ever seen or dreamt of. I stood paralysed, watching him in the mirror. I couldn't have turned round to save my life. Suddenly, he laughed. It was a horrid, silent laugh that showed all his teeth. They were very white and even. And the next moment he cut his throat from ear to ear. There, before my eyes. Have... Have you ever seen a man cut his throat? The bed was all white before. When I could look round, I did. There was no one in the room. The bed was as white as ever. Why could he so down? Well, that's all. Except that now, of course, I understand how those other poor chaps had come by their deaths. They'd seen this horror, this ghost of Bert Hatteras, you know, and with, and with the shock, their hands must have slipped, like-minded, and they'd cut their throats before they could stop themselves. Oh, by the way, when I looked at my watch, it was two o'clock. There hadn't been any night porter at all. I must have dreamt that. But I didn't dream the other. Oh, yes. And another thing. It was the same room. They hadn't changed the furniture around. They'd just changed the numbers. It was the same room. Hello. I'll, 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 I'll just slip out for a moment. Uh, be back in a minute. Probably got to see if he can change his room. <laughs> was my story as good as all that? <laughs> First rate. The bit that doesn't ring true to me is uh, about those other chaps cutting their throats with a shock. I mean, they'd have had to be using cutthroat razors to do it. Oh, well, yes, I expect so. Well, there aren't many of these things about nowadays. Don't you believe it? I use one myself. Always have done. Nothing to touch them. Oh, do you think so? Swear by a cutthroat. Oh, well, oh, in any case, I mean, all this was some time ago. Uh, looking for you, you didn't. Ah, well, now we know. Uh, we reckoned you'd gone to ask for another room, old man. As a matter of fact, I have. What? Seriously? Yeah, they're moving my things straight away. Lucky for me, number four's had a cancellation. Well, don't tell us you were in number 16. I was. And it had that same furniture our friend here described. No. And that 
picture over the mantelpiece. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I am sorry. The cat's out of the bag, then. Yes, it was this hotel I was speaking of. I could do with a drink. Uh, No, no, I'll go. I want a word with the receptionist anyway. Going to ask them to move you into number 16, your old haunt. Oh, hey, hey, haunt. (laughs) Yes, it happens, I am. You see, it's the best room in the house. I always try for it. What? You mean to say... As I said earlier, chap ought to be able to make anything go. If he uses the right push. Well, I know. I'll bring the waiter back with me. It's the least I can do. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, you were going to say I was lucky not to cut my throat too. Well, I always use a safety razor. As a matter of fact, they're my line. The safety razors. Uh, won't be a jiffy. David Kossoff in Number 17 by E. Nesbitt was produced by Charles Lefeu and adapted for the BBC by Michael and Molly Hardwick. Well, that's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on excuse me, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror 1970 and you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd one and if you want to drop me a line say hello make a suggestion a request a even a critique respectfully please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com I also have a YouTube channel obviously titled Terror Radio please check it out subscribe like and share the videos will be highly appreciated Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.